Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Genesis, chapter 37, verses 17 through 28. They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to, their, to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. Good morning, church. Hello to those watching online as well. It's great to be with you. And as we're here today, we are at the end of a sermon series. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, oh, so we're so uh, always saddened by that. But of course, uh, we'll move on to other things as well. But we're coming to the close of family pictures not posted on social media, which of course is about looking at some of those people in the season of Lent in the family of faith that maybe always didn't do the right thing or maybe always didn't really... Uh, do what we would want to put ourselves on social media, if you will, and advertise what we did. Yet the Bible is crystal clear in the fact that sometimes people did bad things, sometimes people of the faith let us down, and yet the Lord was still able to work through it, and so we find great encouragement through that here today. Before we jump into the sermon, uh, I do want to mention to you, uh, it was kind of an eventful week this week. Uh, one of the things, of course, that's been going on in our denomination is there is the start of a new denomination that's kind of splintering off from our denomination uh, in the coming year, pretty much. And it technically it launches May 1st, but it will be kind of a thing over the next few uh, year or so that it will, or year or two that people will be joining it. Um, the bishop, our Bishop Palmer from West Ohio, did uh, send out a uh, video recorded message. It's uh, the first one of a series that he's making, but he did address some different things. Um, it's 12 minutes long, so I'm not going to show it here today, but he did, he did not preach. I, you know, every preacher that wants to get up wants to preach, but uh, he did uh, address uh, uh, quite a bit of this. Um, and so I do encourage you to find that online. Um, I thought it would be posted by now on the homepage of the uh, West Ohio Conference. It wasn't there. 
I suspect it will be in these coming days, but if not, uh, reach out to me. I do think it's important for all of us to hear what our bishop has to say, uh, and he wants to address that uh, specifically. And uh, just know that he, um, he uh, said many things that uh, are, are quite important, and so you want to just turn your attention to find that in these coming days. Do and also mention, uh, let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you remember the book of Genesis, uh, we've looked at these past few weeks, different people in the story. And we looked at Abraham, and we discovered through him, maybe sometimes he wasn't always the most upfront person, and sometimes feared for his life. We looked at his son, right, Isaac, who did the same exact thing, and we wondered, wow, that's kind of interesting. And then last week, of course, we looked at Jacob and Esau, the twin brothers that were born to Isaac. And some of the shenanigans that I, Isaac uh, put off on, uh, or Jacob, that is, pulled, pulled off on the family. Well, like father, like son, right? And so today we're going to be looking at Jacob's descendants as well, and specifically those sons that were born to him in those days of his life. As we jump in, we do want to just remember that at this point, a story is interesting. Do recall that this is early in the book of the Bible. And so as you look at the, all the different books of the Bible, this is Genesis, this is before Moses and David and all those stories that maybe you learned in Sunday school. And so the law hasn't been given and all the different ways that people have understood how to understand God has yet to be truly revealed. This is still a story after the flood where the world has been remade new and basically people have totally forgotten about God and God's just trying to get people's attention. And so he's chosen this family and the descendants of Abraham to be that place where he would renew the earth's knowledge of who he was, and he's working through very uh, fractured people, if you will. Well, in the story, as we read, and we got to back up before we get to this story, the story of Jacob is one of those interesting things. You recall that his name means the deceiver, if you will, or the one who deceives, figuratively at least, and of course, that's what he does, right? He deceives his own family, his own father, his own brother, and does all these different things. Eventually, though, of course, he gets, uh, has to flee for his life from his brother because his brother wants to kill him for what he did. He ends up going up and staying with some relatives. And when he does that, he finds a fine young lass that he wants to marry. And so he makes this whole arrangement. He works for seven years, gets promised that he can marry. And uh, wedding night comes. He wakes up in the morning. It's not her. It's the woman he wants to marry, the older sister, right? And so Jacob goes, what? And it goes, of course, to Laban, who's the father, and says, what did you do to me? And he goes, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. Um, you got to marry the older one first. So I'll tell you what, work for me another seven years, and then I'll give you the wife that you wanted. And so this is surely what happens. He works off seven years. And then after that, Laban tries to deceive him again and basically tries to make him a servant, a slave, if you will. And, uh, and so Jacob ends up, the great deceiver, ends up getting a taste of his own medicine in many ways. But yet God's not done. And so God continues to, in ways, to bless Jacob and eventually gets Jacob and his family away from Laban. But before that happens, there's a feudal war that takes place. Now, not like the, uh, you know, when you think of feudal war, I think of, you know, good old uh, early days in America of the, the Hatfields and McCoys, but not quite like that. But it was a battle between sisters. And, of course, the second sister was the one that Jacob really loved, was Rachel. You know, if you will, or say he, she was the love of his life. And, of course, Leah is there and is also now his wife and their sisters. And there's a battle that takes place for Jacob's love. And so it's one of these stories where it's just kind of heartbreaking at this time. But what ends up happening is Rachel and Leah get into a birthing war. And basically they're trying to outdo each other and who can have the most kids. 
The only problem is, is that Rachel at first doesn't have kids, so Leah has a bunch of sons, right? And so just to name them off here today, you're going to get a few number of Rachel, or Leah that is, when she gives birth, she gives birth to the firstborn, which is Reuben, then Simeon, then Levi, and then Judah. And Rachel gets so jealous, so envious, that he comes to J- she comes to Jacob and says, give me a child, right? And he's like, am I God? Can I make this happen? And so she says, fine. And she gives her servant girl, her maidservant, and says, Jacob, you must sleep with her and give me a child. And so it's through surrogate mothership, Rachel, to born from Bilhah, who's Rachel's servant, but really is considered Rachel's sons, Dan and Naphtali. Well, Leah, on the other hand, has had her womb closed up in some degree. And she says, well, fine, two can play this game. And so she gets her servant and makes Jacob, uh, you know, be with her. And so it ends up being that not only through Leah's servant, but Zilpah, Gad, and Ashner are born. Well, the story keeps going. Eventually, Leah can have children again. And so Isaacar and Zebulun are born. And then last but not least, Rachel is finally able to give birth. And so she's been given birth to Joseph, and then later on in the story, Benjamin. And of which, when Benjamin was born, her childbearing was so rough that she ended up passing away. But there are these 12 brothers, and there's also a sister in there too, but the 12 brothers are important because they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And you would think, when you hear the 12 tribes of Israel, that would be the place of badge of honor. Oh, they must have always been God-fearing men. They must have done everything they could, right? And loved each other, and, you know, got each other's backs. No, no, not at all. Like, this is an episode worthy of whatever, uh, you know, TMZ you want to watch, of people betraying each other and doing things. The brothers are basically odds with each other. And it doesn't make matters worse, but remember, the favorite wife was Rachel. And the firstborn son of Rachel was Joseph, who was one of the lastborn sons. And so who's Jacob's favorite? Joseph. And in fact, this story gets interesting because Joseph loved him so much that while the others had, you know, I'm sure they had plenty of clothes and stuff, it's said that he got a richly ornamented robe known as Joseph in the Technicolor cloak for you 70s people, right? But, uh, but nonetheless, he's got this beautiful coat, or the cloak that's given to him, and everybody, all the other brothers are like, you kidding me? Like, where's my coat, right? <laughs> and yet, all this love is shown to him. The je- brothers, of course, become jealous And as we read in this story, they plot. And in fact, uh, Joseph is sent sent by Jacob to go find his brothers as they're out tending the flocks and and to go check in on them. And as he goes and checks in on them, they happen to have moved where the father had thought they were. And when he gets there, this story takes place where the brothers see him coming. And they plot with each other. And they say to each other, let's kill him. Just flat out, just kill him. We'll put, make his clothes all bloody, bring him back to our father and say the wild animal got him, we found him, like this. And in fact, they were, it was what they were going to do. They were literally going to kill him, all his brothers, except the oldest kind of felt responsible and said, hey, let's not do that. Let's not get our hands dirty. Let's instead, let's stick him in the cistern that's empty, put him in there, and uh, he had kind of a plan to kind of come rescue him, I guess, and kind of save the day, if you will, and, uh, and find the brother, maybe, maybe get a leg up on all these other brothers, maybe. And so he ends up, they end up putting him there. Reuben kind of goes on a journey. Well, while that's going on, the Ishmaelites, who are the Midianites, a descendant also from Abraham's seed, come along, and they're on their journey to go down to Egypt, bringing all their wares, and the brothers look at each other and say, hey, we got an idea. Instead of killing them outright, let's just make some money off this. And so they sell their own brother 
as a slave. So Joseph is pulled out of the cistern, given over to these Ishmaelites, which is later then brought down to Egypt and sold into slavery in Egypt. And his brothers take that beautiful, wonderful, ornamental cloak, and they rip it all to shreds. They pour blood all over it, and they bring it back to Jacob, and they say, whose cloak is this? And of course, Jacob mourns because he thinks his son is lost. Well, they thought that was the end of the story, didn't they? But of course, the Bible says that the Lord is with Joseph. And in fact, the rest of this sermon is basically going to be me preaching to myself today, and you all can listen in because, you know, life's kind of crazy right now in many aspects, uh, and so there's many, many things on the line, but the Lord was with Joseph. It says it specifically many times in this story. Joseph, who actually, when you read his story, he's one of the most heroic people in the Old Testament. When you read his story, pretty much his only gaffe, his only shortcoming, his only heroic flaw is the fact that he just can't keep his mouth shut about good things. And uh, last night we were laughing, but uh, one of my kids, I won't name which one, uh, woke up early from the nap, and I was up, and we had some old, like not old, but Dairy Queen, like leftover that I had stuck in the freezer, and I was eating it, and she goes, well, I let out who it is. So anyway, so she goes, hey, Daddy, I want some ice cream. So we gave her some ice cream, and we, you know, it wasn't much left, so we just ate a couple spoonfuls of each other. And of course, when other child wakes up, hey, guess what Daddy and I did? Oh my gosh, like, keep your mouth shut. Come on, like, what are you doing? Right? But so happy to share about this good news, about something she was so excited about, yet at the same time rubbing it in. And Joseph's really kind of the same thing. He has this dream. Number one, where there's these sheaves of wheat, and one stands up, that's his, and all the other 11, 11 other brothers, all bow down and worship it. Well, instead of just keeping that to himself, or writing it down, or at least kind of conferring with a consultant, he just shares it with his brothers, and his brothers, of course, hate him all the more. This happens before they sell him in Egypt, or sell him another thing. Well, then he has another dream in which the sun and the moon uh, bow down, and all these other stars bow down, and he shares that with his brothers. And the brothers are like, oh, go tell dad. This is going to be good. And so they, he ends up telling dad, and dad gets mad at him. Jacob goes, do you think that your mother and I are going to bow down and worship you? Like, and he rebukes him, totally outright rebukes him. And so even though Joseph's been given these dreams and kind of foretellings of what's coming that are blessings to him, I don't think it, it, this Bible does make it a sense that he's trying to be, make the others envious or anything. He's just so excited to tell about it that he just doesn't keep his mouth shut. But other than that, Joseph is probably the most heroic person in the whole entire Old Testament to this point, and maybe in the whole entire Old Testament. He ends up being sold to slavery. He ends up being part of Potiphar, who's one of the Egyptian officials, and ends up doing such a good job that he ends up becoming kind of master of the house, if you will, in charge of everything, like the head butler. And then, of course, what ends up happening is Potiphar's wife desires him and sets it up to where she was going to sleep with him. And in fact, what ends up happening is he refuses and does the right thing and runs away, but she grabs his, one of his cloaks, says to Potiphar, whose cloak is this? This person tried to take advantage of me. And so Joseph ends up in prison and forgotten. So not only was he sold into slavery, but he's stuck in prison, and you keep reading the story. And this is a story in Genesis. It goes on for chapter and chapter and chapter. But it says the Lord was with him. And blessed him. In fact, it's kind of amazing, but you read in the prison that he's able to kind of walk around. And so one day he's walking around, if you will, and the Lord's blessing him and doing these things. He's still in prison, but he 
sees these cupbearer of the king, and he sees not only the cupbearer, but he sees the baker of the king who are both in trouble. They're both given a, a dream, if you will. They don't know how to interpret it. And so Joseph says, well, I kind of good at dreams. God knows these things. Let me see here. And so he hears the dreams. He interprets them for him. And in fact, the cupbearer's dream is really good. He ends up going on and gets replay, gets basically put back in a station and forgiven and gets all these, these great things that happen to him. The baker gets the opposite. But nonetheless, the cupbearer forgets about him. And so he stays still in jail. That is, until the Lord does a mighty work. And that story doesn't really tell us exactly how long, but we think of this young man that tells us when he was 17 is when he went out to see his brothers sold in slavery, stuck in prison, losing everything for simply trying to be his best. And yet, in that story, Pharaoh is given dreams that no one can interpret. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer of the king goes, oh, wait a minute. I know a guy. And so they go and they get him out of prison, and Joseph is not only able to hear and understand the dream, but to interpret it for the king. The king's so amazed, he puts Joseph in charge of trying to fix it, because the dream basically means a famine's coming to the land, one that no one has ever seen before. It's going to last for seven years, and it feels plentiful now, but don't worry, it's coming, and you need to prepare. And so that's what Joseph's duty was. And so he prepares and gets storehouses for the Egyptian pharaoh, and enough wheat and grain stored up so that when these famines come, everybody has to come to Pharaoh and buy from him. And in fact, that's exactly what happens. And Joseph does such a good job. Pharaoh basically makes him the second most powerful person in all of Egypt. He has risen from the guy who's in prison and sold from his brothers. He's now basically running Egypt as the head manager for the Pharaoh, given all sorts of honors and glory and praise. And he saves this whole entire area of the world from starving to death because the famine was so great. In fact, it was so great his brothers come to Egypt to buy the grain. And when they come, they didn't recognize him. He'd been so different. I'm sure he didn't look like anything like the brother that they had sold him. And when they come in, they don't recognize him, but he knows exactly who they are. And he sets up a game because the youngest brother, remember Rachel had two children. One was Joseph, who Jacob thinks is dead at this point. The other one's Benjamin. And so Benjamin's like stuck at home, has no life because Jacob's not letting Benjamin out of his sight. It's like his now favorite son. He's lost Joseph. He doesn't think he's alive anymore. He's keeping him home. And so all these other brothers come to buy the, the seed, or the, the wheat, that is, but Joseph doesn't see his, his you know, true brother. He makes up a little game and makes it up, and so basically they go back, have to get the brother and come back, and when they come back, they don't come with Jacob the father, so he makes up another little game and all this stuff. And while he's playing this kind of like way to get the family down in Egypt, says that at one point he sees his brother Benjamin and he loads up his plate. You know, he has, he gets like five times the amount of food on his plate than all the other brothers. And it says that he just began to weep and he went to his back room and he cried and he came back out and he told his brothers who they were and they were terrified. Because the revenge had come back on their heads and all the power was with Joseph and Joseph had them hand and foot, red, caught red-handed, and could do whatever he wanted to them. In the story, he forgives them. And in those moments, he even says these words, he says to them, that you 
Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me into slavery. For God has sent me ahead of you to save you. And in fact, the deepest hurt of being betrayed by your own brother, sold into slavery, and in Joseph in this moment, instead of taking the revenge that was rightfully his, looks at his brothers in the big picture and says, God's hand was in this. I'm not saying that God wanted you to sell me to slavery, but I'm saying that like God was going to save the people, and he used what evil you did to me, and he turned it around, and he made it so that I can save the whole entire area. Don't be mad at yourselves. And as the story goes on, you realize that when Jacob finally does realize Joseph's alive, he comes down to Egypt to see him. And, and when you fast forward the days of, you know, Jacob at this point has known that his brother's alive, or that Joseph's alive. When you get to the end of the story, Joseph, or Jacob that is, passes away, and the brothers are all sitting there at the end of the funeral. And then they're looking at each other, and they go, hey, Joseph, we know you're really kind to us, but now that Jacob's dead, are you going to get us? And Joseph, in those moments, turns to them and says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. When you look at the story of Joseph, it's amazing to think a God saving the world through a man who sold into slavery. And if you look at this, it's amazing to think that you fast forward this story and these 12 brothers become the 12 tribes of Israel who, of course, then become the people of God and the nation state that God is trying to get the whole entire world to understand again who he is. And, of course, eventually Jesus Christ comes and reveals himself. And then later on, that gospel message is sent out to the Gentiles to change the whole entire world and to bring the relationship of God back to humanity in the way that it was supposed to be. We're still writing the pages of that history even now in this moment. But there was almost no 11 tribes of Israel. It was almost really, well, I guess 10, because he probably would have saved Benjamin, but Joseph could in that moment had power to end it right there. And yet in that moment, he took even the hurt of his life, the deepest things of his life, and he said, you know what? I see God's hand even in this, and even though bad things, I don't necessarily think that Joseph thought that he was meant to be in slavery and all those things, but God said, you know what? You meant evil for this, but God meant good. And he took those horrible things and turned them around and made something that saved people's lives, including the grand story of bringing the redemption story of Jesus Christ to the world. And you look at that story and you think, it's a great story. One of those brothers was Judah. <laughs> and if there's a one scoundrel among the brothers, Judah's probably the biggest scoundrel of them all, if you will, in some of the things that he does. But it is interesting that when the time came, the little game that Joseph was playing, it was Judah who said to Jacob, I will take my own life into my hands to bring Benjamin to this man and bring him back to you. And it was Judah, who's really kind of, again, got the dirtiest of his hands, maybe of the whole entire brothers, who took it on his own life to make sure his family was cared for. And so when he came to Joseph, he was one of the biggest ones that was in the, the cahoots of trying to kill him. Yet it's through that man and his lineage that Jesus Christ was born. Through the kingdom of David was given. It's amazing. To think of all those stories that you wouldn't put on social media, that you wouldn't put on Facebook and share with the world, but God takes those stories. He flips them around. Even when there are people that have hurt us, even when there are people that have done horrible things to us, God takes them 
And if we're willing to see God's hand in it, he will change it and transform it and be the very thing that brings redemption to the world. Of course, our duty is to let it happen. Our duty is to not only let it happen, I mean, but let God do his thing and the work that he's doing. And again, not to say that God meant for you to go through those hard things, but God can make a meaning out of those hard things that have happened. And so wherever we go from here, wherever the future holds for all of us, and those around the world, and especially if any of those people that are watching this from around the world and some of those places we prayed for here today, remember the story. The Lord is with Joseph. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. Let's give praise. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your word and the straight story of Joseph, which, which when we read it page after page is filled with heartbreak and hurt. And we know that in that moment, Joseph must have wanted revenge on some level. And it was rightfully his to take. And yet, Lord, through his mercy, and yet, Lord, through his ability to stop and not think about his own revenge and need for it, but his ability to stop and see your hand working through even the deepest hurt of his life, Salvation was brought to the world. And so God, as we're here today, we know that many of us have been wrong. Many of us have maybe grudges. Many of us have things in our life that we know were wrong, that we know should not have been, and yet we were forced through it. God, take those hurts, take those things in our life that really we'd want revenge on, but Lord, transform them and make them into meaning and make them into the redemptive story of this world just like Joseph, and of course, even more so, just like Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.